Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today... We continue our conference previews where we look at the top players around the country, conference by conference. Last week, we did the Big 12, which a week later looks drastically different, but uh, the Big 12 for 2021 still stands. We continue today with the Pac-12. We're going to cover 10 teams. We're going to go with potentially the top player in all of college football out in Oregon. We've got Washington, who has a great defense and intriguing players on offense. USC has got blue-chip talents on both sides of the football. Then you've got teams that have really talented players. Washington State, Utah, Stanford, Colorado, UCLA, Cal, Arizona State. Then, of course, you've got Arizona and Oregon State as well. Before we get there, though, with Ben Fennel, we're going to catch up with a name that carries a ton of weight in the college football world, and that is Phil Steele. We're going to welcome here for the very first time to the Journey of the Draft podcast to talk about some of the top players out in the West Coast and also the college football realignment news, which obviously that is rocking the college football landscape right now as we speak, and it's ever-evolving, but we're going to catch up uh, with Phil uh, right at the top of the show here. Before we get there, quick reminder, rate, review, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, why not? I, I need to know because we're going to get great guests each and every week. Pretty soon, we're going to be shifting back into our twice-weekly format as we continue to break down the top players all around the country. If you And if you have been subscribed this whole time, and if you haven't yet, please go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a player you want us to talk about, if you've got a school that you've got prospects you want to hear about, that's where you want to let us know. Go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that. That said, We've got a lot to get to. We've got prospects out in the Pac-12 we're going to hit on later. We're going to start things off, though, with Mr. Relevant and Phil Steele. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, this week here for Mr. Relevant, a man who needs no introduction. Honestly, I feel like Phil Steele, his name is synonymous with summer. It's like hot dogs, sunshine, poolside, waves at the beach. Phil Steele, because I, I read your stuff every single year, uh, whether it's at the pool, whether it's at the beach. Phil, thanks so much for joining us here for the first time on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hey, a real pleasure, Fran. I appreciate that. I appreciate you being a diehard reader like that. We've got a lot of you around the country. <laughs> no, no question, and well-deserved, because obviously you do one of the best uh, when it comes to previewing college football each and every season. I guess we'll start things off here. Obviously, a lot of change, just even in the last 24 hours, uh, that when we were recording this, with the landscape of the future of college football, with Oklahoma and Texas making it clear that they will not renew uh, their plans to stay with the Big 12, and they will be moving on, presumably for the SEC, just thoughts on where we are and what this means for the future of college football. Yeah, you know, for the last couple of years, I thought we were heading towards uh, four 16-team super conferences, and it appears we're going that way. Yep. Oklahoma to the SEC. I, I'm not sure how it's going to shake out, but we're definitely going to see some realignment and see it in the near future. Yeah, it seemed, honestly, when we had that first run of realignment uh, a few years ago with Texas A&M and Missouri going to the SEC, Utah, Colorado going out west, that we were heading towards that four-team super conference uh, platform, and this might be the next step, the next domino to fall you know, towards that path. So with that in mind, you mentioned the Pac-12, and I want, we're going to center this episode around the Pac-12 conference, the top players out west. And so I guess we'll kind of start there. Is there a team that you are most excited about in the Pac-12 entering the season? And if there is a team, why is that? 
Uh, yeah, I think that that team this year is the Washington Huskies, and they're sort of under the radar right now because Oregon was just voted the uh, clear favorite to win the Pac-12 this year. And uh, I think when you look at Washington, they've got that big offensive line, probably averages close to, I think it's 329 pounds per man. So it's a massive offensive line. They've got a bevy of talented running backs. I mean, they go about six deep there. <laughs> Two experienced quarterbacks and Dylan Morris and Patrick O'Brien. Outstanding tight end room led by Kate Otten. Uh, they've got some good receivers, and the defensively, Jimmy Lake has had just two and six returning starters on defense the last two years. This year, he has eight, and the reason I'm really excited about Washington is also the schedule. They get to avoid USC and Utah, the two best teams out of the Pac-12 South this year, and meanwhile, their two toughest games, Arizona State and Oregon, are both at home. Now, I'll tell you this, Fran, this year I feel the home field advantages may be the best ever in college football because fans were deprived from going to games last year. They're not only going to come back to the games, they're going to be enthusiastic, loud, and Washington's got a very good home field edge. When you look at the talent and the schedule, I actually have Washington favored in all 12 of their games this year, and they are my number one surprise team in the country, and a surprise team is a non-top-10 team that I think has a shot at making the playoff. And Washington delivered in that role in 2016 as my number one surprise team when they actually made the playoff. It feels like out west in the Pac-12, the team, you know, usually the, the standard is, all right, head coach and quarterback when you look at college football. I feel like out west, in the, you know, in that conference, if a team can have a really good defense, which, uh, as you mentioned, like Washington uh, with Jimmy Lake as the head coach, uh, that defense really, it seems like the arrow is pointing up, and they continue to churn out NFL talent. You mentioned some of those players. It's easy to see why uh, that would be your pick there in that conference. Um, one of the rivals, obviously maybe their biggest rival, is Oregon, and they maybe have the best player in the entire country, a guy we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show as well, Kayvon Thibodeau. Just how dominant of a force do you feel that he will be here in year three, uh, playing in a new role in a new defensive scheme? Yeah, it's a beautiful role for him because he's going to play in that outside linebacker defensive end role and pretty much have freedom to rush the quarterback. And that's going to mean sacks and that's going to mean big time. Uh, you know, he's probably the favorite coming into the season for the Nagurski Award or the top defensive player in college football. And he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft, maybe the top pick overall. So uh, I think we're, we're looking for a huge year out of him. He's 6'5", he's 260, he's got everything you want at the defensive end position. And I look for a big year out of him, double-digit sacks, and as mentioned, uh, probably the favorite to win the Nagurski Award. And you follow these players, you know, when they're obviously through the recruiting trail, getting onto campus, and all the way through their college career. I feel like it's not that often where we see the guy who was the five-star, the number one player, the slam dunk, this guy is going to be the best player in the country kind of follow through with that. I mean, we had Trevor Lawrence last year where he kind of exceeded those expectations that were put on him at an early age. Thibodeau, I mean, you knew about him in the recruiting trail because he was the top guy and he has met those expectations. Anytime I've studied him, I've just came away so impressed. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. It is rare when you see that. When you mentioned that, the first name that popped in my mind was Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And yeah, Thibodeau has uh, been a guy that has lived up to his billing. And, you know, t typically a guy like Thibodeau goes to an SEC school, maybe Ohio State. Mm. Uh, the choice of Oregon was a, a very interesting one and has not hurt him at all. No, no question. So, uh, obviously, a player that, you know, everybody, uh, college football fans all over the country, very familiar with. Do you feel like there's a player out West that is poised to make that big jump that, you know, maybe six months from now, maybe it is a year from now, that we'll all be talking about on a national stage out West? 
Yeah, and it's it's a guy that had a big year last year in the Pac-12, but I think nationally not a lot of people even knew who he was, and that's Nate Landman of uh, Colorado. Uh, he's a guy that uh, watching him play, and you go back to their game against Utah uh, in the uh, their final game of the season. They were leading Utah by two scores when Landman went out with injury, and then Utah was able to come back and get them 38 to 21. Not a lot of people have followed him, but this guy is a dominant force on their defense. And I think now that he's going to come into the season with a little bit of nat- with a little bit of reputation due to the tackles he had last year and the year he had last year, maybe people around the country will actually start to realize his name. Yeah, I remember talking with Davion Taylor at the Senior Bowl the year he came out about Nate Landman, and he kind of tipped me off to him as a guy to watch in the future. You mentioned he had a strong year last year, just a few games, though, obviously playing in the Pac-12. And Colorado is one of those teams that, you know, I think about, look, they're not one of the perennial powerhouses out West, right? And they've only been in the conference for a few years. But you think of USC, you think of Oregon, you think of Washington. But every year, it seems like one of those other teams out West, you know, whether it's Oregon State or Colorado or Utah will jump up and kind of be in the mix when it's all said and done. When you look at some of those two schools that have maybe less of a pedigree from the big names, do you feel like one of those teams uh, might be set to, to go on a run here in 2021? Yeah, I, th- I think a team that could surprise. Uh, uh, well, let me ask you a question. Do you consider sure. Stanford a surprise team? They were picked fourth in the Pac-12 South. Yeah, I think I would because just because of what the what it's been for them the last few years, it's been a little bit of an uphill climb. Yeah, and so, you know, going over the team with uh, Coach Shaw and going over Stanford with him, and uh, he feels very confident in the team. He feels they're one of the best teams in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, you go back and take a look at last year, that first game of the season against uh, Oregon. Uh, what was it, uh, 20 minutes before the game, he finds out he doesn't have his quarterback or his top receiver. And then their kicker, who misses, has missed like two field goals his whole career, misses four field goals in the game, and they came up short against Oregon. Uh, and then they, of course, lost that tight one against Colorado. But under unusual circumstances, rallied to win the final four games, not being at home. Uh, he feels very confident, Coach Shaw does, of his team's talent this year. And as mentioned, they're picked fourth in the Pac-12 South. I think this is a team that's going to surprise a guy like Austin Jones, a running back, really going to emerge this year. They've got a couple of good quarterbacks with Tanner McKee, Jack West. Uh, you look at a receiving core, Elijah Higgins, uh, Bryson Tremaine, Michael Wilson, the offensive line. Shaw says it could be his best offensive line in quite some time. And they've got eight starters back on defense. They are way under the radar this year, being picked fourth in the uh, Pac-12 North. And that's you just kind of laid out the formula, though, what the path would be to success for David Shaw uh, and that team. Uh, Phil, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. If you have not already, go out to your to, to your local bookstore. Make sure you go pick up uh, the college football preview here from Phil Steele. Thanks so much for joining us once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Hey, Fran, it was a lot of fun talking football with you today. And this was the first time I talked to you. Let's not make it the last, my friend. If you're listening to this podcast, then I know you're a lot like me. You're really excited for football to be back. You're excited for Eagles football to be back. And if you live in the Philadelphia area, you do not want to miss your chance to come and see football live and in person. You can come see the Eagles practice this summer. Do not miss the 2021 Eagles live and in person at training camp public practices presented by Independence Blue Cross. They're right across the street from the NovaCare Complex, right over at Lincoln Financial Field. Tickets are on sale now for just $10. And all of those proceeds benefit Eagles Autism Challenge. So go online. Get your tickets now at philadelphiaeagles.com slash public practice and get your first look at the 2021 Philadelphia Eagles.
Well, great stuff there from one of the most recognizable names in all of college football and Phil Steele. Now let's get into our top prospects out West in the PAC 12. It's time now for draft buzz. Now it's time for draft buzz. All right, well, time to start jumping into some of these players. The top prospects out in the West Coast in the Pac-12. Is my, I'm joined now by my buddy, Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, just you and I today, as we're going to go two-man show to break down the top prospects in the Pac-12. It's fun to be back on with just uh, me and you in this intimate setting here. Uh, yeah, well, we will have Dane Brugler. We'll be back next week, uh, back from his uh, his paternity leave. As I mentioned last week on the show, uh, he and his and his wife welcomed uh, a pair of twins or uh, back to uh, into their family. So uh, Dane has got his hands full at the moment for sure. But uh, we'll be ha- we'll have Dane back here on the show a week from now. But you and I, we have got a lot of players to talk through today, and we'll kind of go through. Obviously, you and I will go category by category. We'll each pick a player, and we'll throw in a couple other names as well just to make sure we're still covering all of our bases with all these prospects. We'll start with the top prospect, and uh, I'll go first here, Ben. To me, you could make an argument that the best player in all of college football, regardless of position, is Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. I mean, six foot five, 250 pounds, played out of position uh, in, for my money. Uh, when you go back to most of last year, he played as like a 3-4 defensive end. Started to see more looks as, a, as an open side rusher as the season went on. This guy at that size is 6'5", 250, unique athlete. I mean, he is explosive. He's fluid. He's rangy. And I love the consistent power that you see with him on film. He's got really heavy hands. He pushes the pocket as a pass rusher. Whether he's lined up against guards or tackles does not matter. He pushes the pocket. He changes the line of scrimmage in the run game. He's a great run defender, and that's a show that's shown by their willingness to play him as a four-eye technique. It's not just, you know, all like, you know, watch him set the edge here and force the action back inside. Uh, this guy's got the ability to be dominant at the point of attack. I love his motor. He's a great backside player in pursuit. So not just play side run game, but backside run game. He's still figuring it out, I think, as a pass rusher, but hasn't really had a full offseason yet. You know, obviously a lot of these guys you could say that about uh, going into their junior season just because of the pandemic. But uh, new role as an open side rusher, as a joker in this new defensive scheme, I cannot wait to watch Kayvon Thibodeau. He just checks so many boxes. And despite the fact that he's still a little bit unrefined, led the team in both sacks and TFLs each of his first two seasons uh, on campus there in Eugene. Uh, I don't know. There's just not a lot left to say about Thibodeau. He is a freak of nature. He's going to be in that same class in my mind as the, you know, the the top prospects that have come out uh, off the edge in recent years. Yeah. Very impressive. Two years there so far uh, with the Oregon ducks out there play a little bit different style in 2020, some more of a true Sam where you'll see him maybe play off ball or even detached over the slot, which I think some Oregon fans got flashes of Dion Jordan being used all around that defense and want just more of a traditional defensive end role which sounds like he's going to be moving back to a little bit more of that traditional role now under new defensive coordinator, Tim DeRoyder, I believe coming over from Cal. Yep. So we'll see if he maybe uh, fills in that old Cameron good role uh, outside linebacker. That was really productive for the Cal golden bears, but Thibodeau, just that combination of being a loose explosive athlete is a one-step explosive player. Who's a guy that can get to that top speed with just that one step across the line, but his ability to win high side, play with his hair on fire and have that motor, but also plays so well often through contact. He's just a very strong, balanced player and a guy that can win in a variety of ways and get production in a variety of ways. You just sit back like licking your chops of all the different ways you can use him. So he's been a very productive player. He's a guy that I think resembles an Anthony Barr style of player Mm. coming into UCLA, particularly his 2020 season where you got to see him out in space, off ball, sub rusher, 
line up at three tech. He can really do a lot of things for a defense. Now let's start to refine what he does best and put him in those positions as early and as often as possible. Interesting, because I kind of saw him as like a, and it's to me it was like the the unique athlete at that size paired with the power, just that ability to run right through an offensive lineman's chest, like a Khalil Mack style of player in terms of that ability to win in so many ways. He, he's just a really fun player. And as I, as I mentioned, you look at Chase Young going into his final season in Columbus, you look at Miles Garrett when he was at A&M, those guys were still kind of figuring it out. And even when they get to the league, still figuring it out, right? But uh, Thibodeau, the tools are there for him to just be an outstanding player. And I think you look at uh, your player here, Drake Jackson, the pass rusher from USC. These guys came in the same year uh, in the Pac-12, constantly compared with each other. Drake Jackson, another really interesting, versatile talent. Yeah, who's a kind of a similar height, weight, speed guy to Kayvon Thibodeau, just a little bit shorter at 6'4", 255, but another guy that's a loose stand-up defensive end, great snap jumping, he's got spin moves, he's loose, he's flexible, he has that explosive first step to really threaten tackles high side, and then you can kind of toy with them going inside and spin moves. Really good surge and burst to close on quarterbacks and ball carriers where he may be, you know, chasing from the backside or playing out in space. You could really see that explosive element to his game. Now, what I'd like to see with Drake, just a little more finish. Sometimes he's a little bit more of a disruptor or a guy that gets his arm around a ball carrier and then falls off. He's a guy that gets to the ball carrier, gets to the quarterback. Just want to see him have a little bit more production and finish those plays. But he's a guy that's seen very, very highly from some NFL scouts and guys we respect. Kayvon Thibodeau has been mocked third overall by our buddy Dane with Drake Jackson being mocked seventh overall. So not far behind. And he only had three Pac-12 players in his first round. So someone's going to be that odd man out. And a lot of people think is that USC quarterback Keaton Slovis, who our good friend Todd McShay has mocked second overall. Yeah. Dane Brugler, not in the first, not in the first round. round. Yep. So a little bit of a conflicting styles and opinions there with uh, the quarterback situation and Keaton Slovis, just really quick to kind of go through what, uh, yeah. what he is. You know, 6'3", 210 pounds, very poised, accurate, smart quarterback, can fly through progressions. Great ball placement, gives his receivers chances, needs to cut down on the turnovers, needs to cut down on the decisions. And it's a big question on, is he a good enough athlete? Does he have a strong enough arm? And if you look at back at the scouting reports of Derek Carr coming out of Fresno State, very similar type of style of player where you question the athleticism, question the arm strength. You loved his ball placement. You loved his poise. You loved the accuracy. But does he have NFL tools to win? And that was what slid Derek Carr to the early second round. And he's been a pretty good quarterback in the league uh, thus far. So Keaton Slovis, Drake Jackson, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think all of them uh, expecting to be first round type of players. And real quick on Jackson, I think what's interesting about him too is that you know he came into USC, I believe at 270, and he was listed at 275 going into last year, now down to 255. And, and again, like Thibodeau, just plays all over the place. I mean, you could see him down as like a nose tackle in some sub fronts. You'll see him in three technique, five technique, seven, out to a nine as a stand-up player, as a joker stack uh, attacking over the center, like just used in so many different ways. He'll, he'll line up outside against tight ends, uh, against like a number two receiver, and he'll throw a jam against those guys and show that ability to play in reverse. I mean, both guys just really, really impressive. And I think that both guys are going to be, at the end of the day, you're talking about a couple of top 15 picks, no question. You don't typically see the pass rushing studs losing weight in the college. Right. Typically, they're the 
D Ford's coming 190 pounds at a high school, Brian Burns, barely 200 pounds. And you add some weight, you yep. add some pounds to that frame, you get up to 230, 240, just like Thibodeau, who's about 235 coming out of high school, has put on a good 20 pounds of muscle. He's up to 250, 255. Drake Jackson, the other way. He was a big boy coming out of high school at 280 and has slowly slid down to about 255, getting rid of maybe some of that baby weight or some bad weight on his body. So I love looking at the body development and how they get to their eventual playing weight that makes them an NFL prospect. Which makes the movement skills with Jackson even more impressive. He, no question. No he's, question. He's, he's yeah. a fun player. Um, all right, let's go to the offensive side of the football. Top senior on offense. I'll let you start us off here. Uh, who's the top senior in this conference in your mind? Well, two really quick ones uh, at the Washington Huskies offensive line, a lot mm-hmm. of veterans returning and that's left tackle Jackson Kirkland, who I think is a really athletic player. He's lean. He's a good polar, excellent body control and balance, rarely on the ground, excellent quickness off the ball. He could run the arc with all the speed rushers in the conference, whether it's Drake Jackson or Kayvon Thibodeau. And was a guy that played right guard for two years, then kicked out the left tackle last year mm-hmm. and looked more than comfortable. So he's a guy I think is one of the better seniors in the conference. And then just move over inside, Luke Wattenberg. He's a guy that's played left tackle, left guard, and is now their starting center. Three and a half year starter, 2,500 snaps played up there at Washington. Very experienced offensive line up there. So two guys I expect to get drafted. Jackson Kirkland right now is kind of in the mix with a lot of the top tackles, figuring out is he a late one, maybe an early day two player. I think he can squeeze in and be a top 50 player when it's all said and done. And Luke Wattenberg, just that experience playing up and down an offensive line, very experienced player and a veteran offensive line group there at Washington. Do you feel Kirkland can be a tackle in the NFL? Because I actually had only watched 2019 going into last year. He was going to be a junior, so he was going to be eligible. Um, and I liked him as a, as a starting guard. You know, I, I thought he was uh, – he showed power. He showed the anchor and pass protection. I thought he used his hands well, uh, an experienced player. And then he moves to tackle last year. I just haven't gotten to the tackle tape yet. Uh, do you feel like he can stick out in the perimeter in the NFL? I think so. I think, you know, I think he put together a lot of good snaps against some elite talent last year at left tackle. Reminding me a little bit, just a flash – of Braden Smith coming out of Auburn. Okay. Who also had that kind of guard tackle conversation and has really carved out a nice role at tackle, I believe, for the Indianapolis Colts since uh, leaving Auburn. But mm. similar type of player here in Kirkland. All right. I'm going to stick with the Huskies here and I'm going to go with the tight end, Kate Otten. I just watched him last Friday, Ben. I loved his film. Six foot five, 250 pounds. And, and, and I'm cutting you off here, Fran, because he would have been my pick. But I, I let you have him? this one. You know, I'm a big Kate Otten guy, so take it away. <laughs> Well, this guy lined up everywhere. I am mostly in line, hand in the dirt, but uh, you know he'll play out wide. He'll play in the slot. We'll line him up in the backfield as a fullback as well. In all areas of his game, toughness, competitiveness, urgency. The guy plays through contact so so well in all areas of his game. And as a pass catcher, you think, oh, he's you know he's kind of a lumbering like you know just traditional wide tight end. This guy catches the ball with ease time and time and time again. He tracks the ball well over the shoulder. He's pretty good with the ball in his hands. Uh, kind of reminds me of like a Brent Selleck. Honestly, when I look back at, at his career, the kind of well-rounded game uh, that Kate Otten brings, and he is an awesome blocker. I, I mean, you watch him pin down defensive ends. He'll come down and trap interior guys. Uh, you see him on backside of split zone. Everything that he's asked to do in the blocking game, pass protection as well, shows up. He's really stout. He can handle one-on-one matchups against defensive linemen. Well, without question, he's not a dynamic athlete, but he's a good athlete. He's a solid athlete. He's a darn good one. So I think when you look at him, he's got a three-down skill set. Overall, it's just going to be a matter of like, okay, he's not going to be the dynamic pass catcher, 
So that's going to kind of, you know, cap his ceiling a little bit, but this guy's a starting tight end in the NFL. I, I, I watched Kate Otten and I was like, I want to keep watching more and more. He only played four games because the Huskies only played four games. I wish I could have watched six or seven from last year. He's one of these guys where the tape is the truth serum. Yeah. Because I know we're going to get to the spring and listen, he's not going to jump like Mike Kosicki. Nope. He's not going to, you know, rep 30 reps on the bench like, you know, George Kittle did. He's not going to wow you with his metrics and things. And while he may not be, you know, uh, overwhelming in his blocking or powerful, he is technically sound. He's willing and he looks to finish. And I absolutely love that for a tight end. And I can work with a guy like that all day long. Another thing in his run blocking, I love his post snap assignments in Mm -hmm. reading the slanting and moving of the defense and still understanding his aiming points, his combo, his assignments. And it's, they ask him to do a lot of different things in the run game out there. And the other thing with a tight end that maybe isn't an elite athlete or an elite tester, he's a nice route runner and he is crafty. He knows how to get open. He knows how to, really good. Yeah. He knows how to manipulate his paces and his speeds. He knows when to not rush through a break point. Like we love seeing guys nice and patient on those stick nods or knowing when to surge off of defenders at that collision point and easy, easy hands. Most of those games, he had no gloves on, but you love seeing that those natural fingertips, just grabbing the ball and getting up the field. Yeah. He's not a dynamic yak guy. But he's going to make you work to take him down to the ground. Yep. He's a guy that was prolific in high school as a linebacker and tight yep. end. Team's offensive MVP this past year for Washington. Put me down as a K-Dot and lover all day long. I'm not letting this guy get out of the second round. Yeah, and that's the thing. You talk about the ceiling, and that's 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 fair. Uh, but this guy, the floor, very, very high uh, with this player. Any other seniors on offense that you feel strongly about? I mean, uh, another guy I guess we could have brought up was like the Oregon running back, C.J. Ferdell. He's been there forever. Um, you know, there are a few other guys. I know Colorado's got some players as well. Uh, some guys that we're going to continue talking about throughout the rest of the show. But uh, I don't know if you had any other category, you know, players that would kind of fit this category that could be in the discussion for top senior on offense. No, I think we can keep it a little Washington Husky focus there yeah. with the the O line and Kate Otten, and uh, there's plenty of underclassmen to talk about. That's for well, sure. That's a good good segue here. We'll go to uh, my pick for most intriguing underclassmen on offense out west in the Pac-12. I'm going to go uh, with USC wide receiver Drake London, and this guy is really fun. I mean, he's six foot five, 210 pounds, which feels like oh, that'd be a perimeter perimeter target. But the last couple of years, he's mainly been in the slot, very few reps uh, on the outside. Now. This year, no Tyler Vaughn's on the right side of the formation, no Amon Ross St. Brown on the left side. So I'll be interested to see if he does move more uh, to the outside in this offense. But this guy is an absolute monster at the catch point. Very, very, very rarely does the ball hit the ground. And he is a great basketball player. He was a big-time hoops player in high school, got a number of D1 offers, has actually played some basketball with the USC Trojans uh, over the course of his career. He played uh, back in the the winter and spring of 2020. So uh, when you look at this guy in terms of his overall skill set, look, he's not an alien athlete. And I think that's the thing is like, okay, when you look at Mike Evans, DK Metcalf, those guys that are that size, you know, what is it that sets them apart? They are ridiculously explosive, like low four fours, high four threes. I don't know that Drake London's going to necessarily be that, um, but this guy is not a stiff. He can get in and out of breaks, you know, at a solid rate. I'd like to see him get a little bit better in terms of the nuances of the game before the snap. But you have to keep in mind that because of his basketball background, and then obviously because of the pandemic so far, he's never had a full football offseason. So you're betting on the come here with Drake London. You think his best football could be ahead of him. Six five two ten. He's a really, really intriguing package. He almost plays like a move tight end. I know he's yeah. only 210 pounds, but that's type of profile. And it's very much that Michael Pittman role 
uh, where he doesn't seem like he's a blazer, but he's going to fight you at the catch point. He's going to fight you after the catch. Very competitive blocker. Yeah. Trust him to dig out safeties. He can crack down on defensive ends and linebackers. He's more than willing. Yep. He's that big slot type of player and reminds me a ton of Justin Gage coming out of Missouri years ago, who also played for the Missouri basketball team before mm. he uh, committed just playing receiver and had a nice career with the Titans. But Drake London, very similar type of player there. I thought about Hakeem Butler as well when he was coming out of yeah, Iowa that's State. Fair. Yep. Uh, I thought of it, you know, just in terms of the, the overall body type. And Hakeem Butler, uh, since that point, has made the transition to tight end. We'll see if exactly. that's in the future yep. here for Drake London. Uh, who's a guy that, that kind of fits this bill for you? Well, I think there's a bunch of interesting underclassmen running backs in this conference. I mean, the conference player of the year was Jarek Broussard out of Colorado at 5'9", 185, a dynamic little joystick back. But Arizona State got the ball very minimally to this running back, Rashad White, last year. And listen to this, friend. The last four years in college football, running backs that have 40 carries and average 10 a carry. Okay. One guy, Rashad White in 2020. Wow. This guy, the second he touched the ball, he was gone. One of the most explosive players in college football. Just obviously had to share some uh, some workload in that backfield last year. He's a JUCO transfer, but uh, he's a very interesting player. He caught eight of eight receptions, a lot of screens. He's a guy you just want to get out in space. Only touched the ball 42 times, but had 420 yards, five touchdowns, and actually didn't play a whole lot. He's a JUCO transfer. There was one week he stopped right at the goal line so the walk-on running mm. back could get a touch and walk into the end zone, which is – you just love to see that as well. So he's just one of these interesting running backs in this conference, whether you know it's Max Borgie out there at Washington State, Keontae Ingram mm. uh, now at USC coming over from Texas, Zach Charbonnet coming over from Michigan to UCLA – a lot of interesting running backs in this conference. And I believe that Bruce Feldman had written, written a little bit about Rashad White, thought that he would be one of the breakout players in college football this year. Um, 22 miles per hour on the GPS. Uh, so you talk about the, the game-breaking speed there uh, from Rashad White. And he averaged 11 yards per touch last year. I was just an outstanding athlete. Uh, for the position. I'm excited to dig deeper into his film. Um, let's now get to the, the other side of the football. Uh, let's talk top seniors on defense. Uh, I'll let you kick things off. Who, who's the guy that stands out to you on defense uh, in the senior ranks? Well, my top senior on defense is an interior defensive lineman at Arizona State once again. That's Jermaine Lowell. L-O-L-E. I think I'm pronouncing that okay. right. I think it's just Lowell. Uh, he's about 6'2", 3'10". He's only about 250 in high school and has added some really good weight. This is a defensive end, three-tech hybrid, one of the most stout, heavy-handed SOB defensive linemen in the country. This guy is brute strong, but he's loose and explosive as well. He's a first-team all-conference last year, really good instincts uh, against screens and reading different types of blocks. He's a Long Beach Poly kid, so he went out and followed Antonio Pierce down there to Arizona State. Really productive player. PFF called him their second best interior defensive tackle heading into this year. I think only behind uh, the Ohio State kid, if I'm not mistaken. But he's a really productive player. He can get after the passer in multiple ways. He's a good run defender. He's loose. I want them to stop stunting. They have tons of games, tons of stunts trying to free him up and just get more one-on-one opportunities for him Mm. to feast, which I think they're going to have in the cards this year at Arizona State. But everybody's looking for that interior disruptor that guy that can is a three down trench player that can also maybe kick out that could get after quarterbacks Jermaine Lowell is a guy on a lot of radars and a really strong player 
Uh, people may remember Will Sutton back, I believe, 2012, 2013, in that, in that time frame coming out of Arizona State, that uh, same kind of body type. I'm excited to dig into uh, Lowell's tape and see exactly uh, what this guy can bring to the table. For me, on defense at the senior ranks, I'm going to go with a guy that we talked about last year coming into this conference, and that was Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah. Six foot three, 235 pounds. And he really kind of popped on my radar because we all remember that great Utah defense from the 2019 season, all those guys going into the 2020 draft, the Lecky Fotus and Jalen Johnson and Terrell Burgess, Julian Black, and all those guys that ended up being, uh, you know, day two picks, day three picks. And now I talked with a bunch of them, Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowl, Combine, and I said, who's next? Who, who's the guy that we're all going to be looking to? And they all pointed to the guy who was a sophomore at the time, the linebacker, Devin Lloyd. Now, long rangy. I kind of see him as a pure weak side backer, you know, see ball, get ball type of player. Great blitzer. He's athletic. He's, I mentioned the range that he shows. Uh, I worried about the eye discipline a little bit, especially going back to 2019. I think he got a little bit better last year, but I'd still like to see him improve there. Kind of reminded me of John Bostic, who was a second round pick and has stuck around in the league for a long time, um, you know, as kind of like a, as a basically a, a mercenary starter in the NFL. I kind of view that uh, Devin Lloyd at his floor could be that type of player. So I'm excited Excited to continue to watch him progress uh, now with a full season here under his belt as the kind of the captain of that defense. Yeah, absolutely. Good special team player as well. Mm. He's one of those guys you love watching him pre-snap, post-snap, directing traffic to everybody. He seems mm. like a very instinctual guy. Seems like the leader and that kind of quarterback of the defense. I just want to see, are we going to play him more out of Mike Will or more of that Sam on the line of scrimmage uh, that we saw a little bit more in 2020? But right. Excuse me, the Pac-12, a lot of interesting veteran linebackers, whether it's Merlin Robertson at Arizona State, Nate Landman at Colorado, Jihad Woods at Washington State, I feel like has been there for 10 years. Cal has an interesting pair with Cameron Good and Coney Dang. A lot of interesting linebacking prospects, but I think Devin Lloyd may be the best of that group. I mean, Coney Dang, Merlin Robertson, I'm pretty sure was making plays like two presidential terms ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, Nate Landman's been there for forever. A lot of these guys, I mean, a ton, a ton of pelts on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of snaps played, tons of production. Jihad Woods, I think, has nearly 3,000 snaps in his career. You know, so these guys are uh, certainly seasoned. And uh, let's just see who has those elite traits to maybe uh, get a high-level sniff from uh, NFL scouts. All right, let's get to the underclassmen ranks here. And I'll let you kick things off because uh, you've got some guys that I actually have not done uh, these USC DBs. Yeah, so USC has a couple interesting defensive backs, and my attention went right to Isaac Taylor Stewart, who Todd McShay mocked in the first round this spring, and I never heard of him. But he was a guy that really only played one full game in 2020. Is only one start this past year, and is really only a one-year player uh, from 2019. He's tall, he's long, he has a track background. But the guy that a lot of scouts had on their radars ahead of this was Chris Steele who is the five-star Florida transfer. Right. If you want to call him a Florida transfer, I think he put his bags down and then walked right back out the door. I think well, he the, Abe, the, the Abe Simpson just kind of put this out. Yeah, he walked in, walked in, walked out. <laughs> um, but he's an interesting player. He's tall. He's long. He's speedy. He's kind of this alpha player. They'll play him in a variety of schemes, a lot of off-man. Seems like they like Taylor Stewart a little bit more in press man. But mm. two guys I kind of just scratched the surface of, but two intriguing underclassmen getting a lot of buzz. I watched some of their tape today. Wasn't overly impressed, but two guys just to uh, keep on the radar and Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart, particularly no more Elijah Griffin out there. So these two should be the mainstays at corner. I remember I, Chris Steele stood out to me last year. I believe he was 
Well, tell I me brought, which game because I, I, I just talked, watched three. I didn't like. Yeah, I talked. Yeah, I talked about him for sure in one of these games. I'm seeing if I can go back into. It wasn't my the Oregon game? I can tell you that much. No, probably not. Let's see. It was from last December. He had a couple of PBUs against UCLA. That was the game I watched. That I was I was watching them on TV, and he stood out with some uh, some big plays last year uh, in that game. So well, maybe maybe get to that game a little bit. But I, I'm excited. I haven't not done a, a deep dive on him. Two DBs from out west that I have done though. Trent McDuffie, uh, who is out of Washington now, going to be a true junior, 5'11", 195 pounds, mostly played as the left corner in that scheme, but he did get some inside reps as a nickel as well. So he's got some versatility, which is good to see. He's entering his third year as a starter. Quicker than fast, I don't think he's like purely explosive, but he's a good man-to-man corner. Not only does he have that quickness to get in and out of breaks, but I I thought his route awareness was really, really good. He showed that ability to hip pocket with guys at all three levels. Rarely tested downfield. The production just isn't there for a guy that's played the amount of football that he has. Um, not a ton of production, but the flashes are there. So when he is tested, he shows the ability to, to climb the ladder, high point the football, and finish, uh, which you really like to see. Very willing run defender. All those DBs, for the most part, uh, coming out of that program are very experienced special teams player as well. So uh, you look at Trent McDuffie. I think that he's a, a guy that I look at really capable of being a, a three down player in the NFL as a, a guy that can be a top three corner for an NFL team. And then really another guy that I almost went with here for this category, he's going to, he's a rising junior and he's a player that I actually did last year as well. That's Oregon safety, Verone McKinley, the third five eleven, one ninety six. He's kind of a free safety, big nickel hybrid. A guy kind of played that same role as Javon Holland did uh, in that Oregon defense before becoming a second-round pick by the Miami Dolphins here this past spring. Twitchy athlete, he's a high school corner. So this guy that's got a corner background, playing more as a safety now, I was really impressed coming off 2019 film. Excited to dig into his film a little bit more. But uh, a lot of DBs uh, out in the West Coast, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. And there's probably a handful more we could have talked about, but Trent McDuffie, he is one of the best tackling corners in the country. And I think he just put up over a 41 inch vertical in the off season. So a guy that's feisty, explosive experience, and certainly on a lot of radars. Honestly, like if you, the Eagles just signed Steven Nelson, the corner previous to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I feel like he, he can be that kind of player in the NFL. He said his physical gifts might even be a little bit better uh, when then uh, Nelson's were coming out of school. Um, I think that he's got that same kind of play personality because Nelson is a really scrappy, instinctive player with inside out versatility. I kind of view McDuffie as a similar kind of prospect. Um, and coincidentally, I believe high school teammates with Chris Steele over at uh, St. John Bosco. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, nice little connection there in that category. I hate <laughs> hearing that though. When you hear these high school powerhouses with like two, five-star division one corners, eventual NFL players. Well, like plantation back. last year, like yeah, that no whole question. Secondary, all five guys they had Marco Wilson, there. Patrick Sertan, Tyson Campbell in the same secondary. Like, and they had the kid, the, uh, the, uh, the Anthony Schwartz, the speedy receiver was the he free, played free safety. safety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's some of these, the they big, walk uh, onto the field. I'm just throwing a flag right there. Right. Like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. This can't be legal. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to our sleepers here. Someone who we think is flying under the radar in the pac 12. Um, Let's talk. I'll start. I'll let you kick things off here because we got oh, some interesting. No, to I've been trying on. to stall because I've been working on the pronunciation for this one. I don't know why I do this to myself. Just pick out Tim Smiths and stuff. <laughs> but Washington Huskies, once again, they have a really interesting off ball linebacker. Yep. All right. Edda. You got this. You got this. Edda Fuyan Yolo Fushio. It's pretty good. All right. I'm only saying it once. Really interesting off-ball linebacker. That's all I'm going to say. All right. <laughs> UCLA outside linebacker Mitchell Agood. Only one year at UCLA. Really interesting inside-outside kind of defensive end player. Uh, really good contact balance. 
and the guy we were really excited about, unfortunately had the Achilles injury in the spring was Washington edge rusher, Zion Tupelo Fatui. You did it to yourself again. Who was like the Pac-12 version of Quiddy Pay. I know you were really high on him last year. Rocked up, explosive. So three names of marbles right there that, uh, yeah, just file away for later. (laughs) I know that you were really high on uh, ZTF, as he is uh, referred to on Twitter. Uh, You were really high on ZTF all through last fall. You kept talking, as soon as Pac-12 competition picked up, uh, you you kept talking about Zion, Zion, Zion. um, And he did not uh, not disappoint based off film study. I'm just shaking my head. I didn't know we were calling him ZTF. I could have helped. You could have helped yourself a little bit there. Um, No, he's, uh, he's, from what I've seen, He's really impressive. Uh, I'm going to go with one of their rivals there, Washington State. You mentioned his name earlier, and I think that he's kind of flying onto the radar right now, and that's the running back, Max Borgi. Um, You know, this is a guy who, look, he only played, I think, half a game last year. He fought through an injury. I think he he basically only played like half a game a year ago, only a handful of touches. So you're going back to 2019 when he played for Mike Leach in that air raid offense. As a runner, he's he's fine. I, I think good solid vision. I like him best when he's out in space. He is a dynamite pass catcher. I mean, outstanding routes, outstanding hands, outstanding ability to to finish through traffic. Um, and as a pass protector, also very good. His ability to translate as a third down back, no question. He's going to get the easy comparisons, the low hanging fruit to the the Danny Woodheads and the uh, you know like the the Rex Burkeheads. Those are that those are that's going to be the comp. Rightfully so, though. This guy, uh, I think, has that really easy ability to translate to the NFL. Real quickly, two receivers that just from a pure profile standpoint look like guys. And we, how often do we talk about this, Ben? The guys that are high upside with proven special teams backgrounds get drafted on day three. And there are two guys that I think really kind of stand out here. First, Colorado wide receiver Daniel Arias. I remember talking with Davion Taylor down at the Senior Bowl in, in January 2020, and he told me about this kid, about Arias. Six foot four, 205 pounds, dynamite special teams player, high effort player, who also has the ability to be an explosive D threat at 6'4, 205 with a special teams background. That guy's getting drafted uh, next spring. Then you go over to Cal. I talked with that former safety, Ashton Davis, who was, uh, I believe, a third round pick of the Jets back in 2020. Uh, he told me on Nico Remigio, five foot 10, 195 pounds, different package than Arias, but this guy's versatility, his competitiveness, his willingness to play special teams, kind of a big play threat, you know, screen game, the different things there. That's another guy. Just keep him in mind as a day three option there uh, because all everybody's looking for those receivers with high end athletic traits and special teams background. Yeah, and I think Borgie uh, is a fair sleeper because he only played in one game last year. Yeah, exactly. Only had one catch. And previously, the the last two seasons, or uh, excuse me, 2018, 2019, 139 catches. Yep. One of those productive dual threat running backs in the country. But remember, Mike Leach loved to feed it to his backs in the past game, went to Mississippi State before 2020. So yep. Max Borgie, new scheme last year. So that'll be continuing into this year. And uh Maybe some more coaching changes out there in Washington State. We'll yeah, that's right. I, mean, I got Nick Rolovich <laughs> out there at the moment running the, uh, the run and shoot. So uh, let's take a look now at our next category, most approved. Someone with something to prove, whether they're coming off injury, you got a scheme change. Obviously, I could have used Max Borky uh, here. Instead, I'm going to go with his teammate. I'm going to go with the right tackle, Abe Lucas, who has been a model of consistency every single time, every time he's taken the field for the Cougars. Hey, he's going to be a four-year starter at right tackle, hasn't moved. So – that's what I want to say. I want to see him improve. I want to, want to see him prove before we get to the draft. This isn't anything he's going to do here this fall. It's going to be when we get to Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, Combine, private workouts, 
Can you prove that you could play another position? Can you slide inside the guard? And then also the, the, the question with him is going to be his athleticism and movement skills. Does he have the ability to stick at tackle? He is a big, strong, nasty player. I'd like to see the finish get a little bit better overall with him, but this is a kid that's very, very experienced. He's a battle-tested offensive lineman. Teams are always looking for that. Uh, guys his size, they, they get drafted. It's going to be a matter of can he prove that position versatility? Right now, he's, been, he's going to be shoehorned only as a right tackle. Can he play guard? I, I, that's going to be a big question for him moving forward. And here's a guy I believe came in at like 260 pounds. Yep. And there's been a couple articles about his commitment to the weight room and I think beating in some trainers and stuff in the morning. Mm. But Abe Lucas, he's one of those guys that's almost boring to watch out there. He just yeah. rarely on the ground, very clean pass sets. You just watch a game, you're like, hmm, that that edge rusher didn't sniff the quarterback to his yep. side. So doesn't wow you. But I mean, when you look at his full body of work, he's a really good player. Uh, Thibodeau and Lucas was a fun matchup uh, from a year ago. Who would be uh, your pick here for this category? Well, this is a perfect transition because I was watching those two USC corners this morning and the safety kept grabbing my attention again. And that's Isaiah Polamau from USC. 6'4", 210 pounds in Fran. I do not say this lightly. When you put on his best tapes, his best plays, his biggest impact moments on the field. I have no idea what you're going to say right now. They are... Scary similar to Kyle Hamilton. Wow. Okay. All right. Tall, long, rangy, explosive, instinctive, ball skills. He's more of that back-end safety. Hufango is more of the box safety at USC. But really impressive interceptions from the middle of the field to the sideline against both Arizona State and Fresno State in 2019. I'm about to put up a rangy play here in a couple minutes that I noticed when I was watching the corners against Utah last year. But this is a really interesting player. Yes, he is nephew of Troy Palomalo, despite the slight name, lettering, and spelling. The issue with him, so why is he my most approved? The injuries have been brutal. He was injured had an injured shoulder coming out of high school in 2017, then had a huge first game, got hurt with the shoulder injury again in 2018. So he's a guy that just needs to check the medicals, stay healthy, and just stay more consistent uh, out on that field. Because when he is healthy and when he's making those impact plays, he is as good as any safety in the country, Kyle Hamilton included. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's a, a player that I know a lot of people are excited about, but like uh, Hufanga last year, those shoulder injuries, a lot of people, that's going to worry a lot of people as well. Um, just real quickly, before we move to the next category, a couple quarterbacks that I think are worth mentioning. Um, the two seniors, really, uh, when you look at Oregon quarterback, Anthony Brown, I think that Jeff Schwartz, uh, our buddy, uh, kind of put this perfectly on Twitter the other day. He said, look, you look at Oregon, if you look at their prospects here for this year, they are an 11-win team if Anthony Brown, who's going to be a senior, if he could play to his ceiling, this is an 11-win football team, a 10-win football team. If he doesn't play well and they have to go to a younger player, it's more likely that they are an 8- or a 9-win team. So I think what their, their future here really kind of rests on the shoulders of Anthony Brown. Again, a senior quarterback for the Ducks, who is a presumed starter. We'll see how it goes here uh, through the rest of the summer. And then UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson, really athletic kid, undersized. The consistency just has to get better. You know, the decision-making hasn't been to the level it should be. The accuracy, the mechanics, it just has to get better across the board. The highlights are really, really good. The flashes are really, really good. He can get through progressions. He does a nice job getting from one to two to three. He's just got to be more consistent with the decision-making and the accuracy in ball placement. I don't think that the arm talent alone is good enough paired with the athleticism to overcome some of those other other misgivings. He's just got to get more consistent across the board. So that's what I'm looking for him to improve on. 
you know, in a similar conversation to uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA is Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. Sure. Yep. Good Another one. guy who is very elusive, quick-footed athlete, strong arm needs to make better decisions and be more accurate. Mm. And they have a very veteran offensive line down there at Arizona state, run the ball, feed Rashad white. And some of Jaden's Jaden Daniels best stuff is off play action. Mm. And we all know these run based offenses in the NFL run the ball and let him obviously uh, capitalize on the play action. All right. So let's get to our next category here. Our newcomer on the scene, whether it's a transfer or a replacement player uh, stepping up for a guy that's now in the NFL, the PAC 12, these guys, really active in the transfer portal. We did a whole episode on the transfer portal a few weeks ago. You, I know, have been monitoring the transfer portal extremely closely, Ben. And so I'll let you kick things, kick this off here. Uh, who are some of the transfers that have really stood out to you in the Pac-12? There's a bunch that have caught my eye. I think the number one, though, is uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles going to the Washington Huskies from Oklahoma, who's a nickel safety type of player. He was a five-star kid from IMG, but he's played a lot at Oklahoma. This wasn't a kid that fell out of favor and lost playing time or couldn't see the field. He's played 37 games with 32 starts over the last three years. 1,800 snaps played, three picks. He's a special teams contributor. He needs to become a better tackler which at 5'9", 175 pounds is kind of what you expect. He's more of a yeah. sharp-footed guy that, you know, slashes in the backfields and really disrupts the catch point there. Has some penalties for being a little bit grabby at the top of routes, but he's a versatile, experienced player that's played a lot of high-level football for Oklahoma. And like you had mentioned, a lot of transfers head into the Pac-12. Best transfer quarterback? That's Charlie Brewer at Utah coming over mm. from Baylor. Some interesting running backs we talked about earlier and Keontae Ingram and Zach Charbonnet. But TJ Pledger going to Utah from Oklahoma. Really interesting player as well. He's kind mm. of a dual threat, third down back, good pass protector, 5'10", 190. Uh, he's a guy that I think has that NFL mold of being a third down scat back. And a guy I just discovered this morning. I knew he was a speedy receiver at Michigan, Giles Jackson. Yep. Next thing you know, I blink and he's at Washington. So we'll see what they can do out there in that offense. But uh, Pac-12 seemingly uh, a very comfortable landing spot for a lot of players around the country. A lot of people on the East Coast are familiar with Jared Guarantano, the former quarterback at Tennessee, who was, I believe was a oh, three-year yeah, starter. He's a, he's a Washington State now, uh, running the run and shoot there for Olovich. Uh My pick, I went a different direction here because I, I figured you would handle the transfer guys. So I'm like, all right, who's a guy that we're expecting a more expanded role from here this year? And I talked about his teammate, Trent McDuffie, earlier, but I want to now shift my attention to Kyler Gordon, the corner from Washington, six foot, 190 pounds. This guy has been on Bruce Feldman's freak list for one of the top athletes in college football each of the last two summers and he's gotten reps at both outside corner spots left corner and right corner but he's really kind of transitioned to, to be more of a big nickel or dime player in the defense over the last two seasons so he's got proven positional versatility which you love um jimmy lake had said in one of those freak list articles that he is the most athletic defensive back he's ever had jimmy lake has been coaching college football for a long time and has coached a lot of great players so high praise there from his coach the flashes of kyler gordon Really, really impressive. If you look at his production on a per-snap basis, really, really impressive. He just not, has never been a full-time player. So I'm excited to see what he can be. So far, we've seen those flashes. We've seen him be kind of like a tight end eraser in the middle of the field. That's a role that he can play. But look, this is a defense that's losing Keith Taylor on the outside. They're losing Elijah Molden on the inside. So what role is Kyler Gordon going to take over for those two players who ended up being draft picks here this spring? I think it's going to be really interesting. Kyler Gordon... Who also, by the way, this guy's a lock to be drafted when he does come out because uh, two, each of the last two seasons, he has been the special teams MVP for Washington. So 
at that size, again, we talk about this all the time, size, athleticism, special teams prowess, mm-hmm. those guys get drafted without question every single spring on day three. What else can you do? Kyler Gordon has the potential to do a lot. I'm excited to see what his role is here uh, with the the graduation of a couple of different defensive backs in that secondary. Yeah, you know, we had mentioned Kate Otten maybe not impressing us in the offseason stuff and the metrics. This guy his will. teammate Kyler Gordon's the other way. Right. So if Kyler Gordon doesn't play well, yep. he's still going to, you know, turn some heads and catch some eyeballs with his workouts, which we saw on the freak list for a 42 and a half inch vertical and a 6.523 cone, which just for a little perspective. That's crazy. Since 2000, five guys have been yep. less than that at the combine. Five. Regardless of position. Yeah. Any yep. position. Yep. Lower than a 6.523 cone, five players. And luckily, one of them is here in Philadelphia with us in Avante Maddox. But, um, yeah, it doesn't happen too often. All right, well, let's get to uh, guys that we're going to be talking about down the road here. Our future stud, a player that's not draft eligible for 2021, but we need to watch here uh, for coming down the road. I'll let you uh, kick things off here for this one. Well, we got a sniff of Penny Sewell's younger brother, Noah Sewell, at Oregon last year. He's a true freshman, battering ram, off-ball linebacker. Um well, so we'll see what he can do in his sophomore season. Got on the field quite a bit, but everybody has been saying, look out, look out, look out for the number one player in the country coming out of high school, Corey Foreman at USC, who apparently this guy is like pro ready today. It's like 6'4", 260, quarterback killer, who I just want to see him in combination with Drake Jackson down there uh, and some of those other vets on defense. But Corey Foreman seemingly is on everybody's list on being the newcomer of the year, the freshman of the year, defensive player of the year, X, Y, and Z, any other freshman award. Corey Foreman, USC, Mm. look out. I love it. All right, so we're way, way ahead uh, here for 2024. We'll be talking about Corey Foreman. Uh, I'm going to go with Sewell's teammate there because Noah Sewell stands out on film. You watched that Oregon defense last year. Uh, this guy pops off the tape. Uh, DJ James, his, his teammate in the secondary, six foot, 185 pounds. Oregon just continuing to spit out uh, uh, guys in the defensive secondary. Um, you know, they had some corners that did not play that opted out. So that allowed DJ James as a true freshman last year to step in. Uh, and Bruce Sullivan highlighted him as a guy that could really take that step and be viewed as one of the top players in college football here this fall. So just keep an eye out for DJ James, the corner from Oregon. Yeah. And I think we did a pretty good job going through the PAC 12, a lot of names here. I think the one team, maybe we didn't touch on enough in this uh, podcast, okay. UC- UCLA offense, hmm. one of the best tight enders in the juniors, and their left tackle, Sean Ryan's been getting a lot of love by certain people uh, out there in the scouting uh, scouting community. So Really interesting players on there in that UCLA offense. We didn't get to touch on, but those tight ends, look out for those two. No, that's a good that's a good call uh, on your end. We got a lot of players uh, that we had to break down here today. Just the two of us. Like I said, next week Dane Brugler will be back with us. The three of us will break down the top players in the Atlantic Coast Conference. We're coming back east for the ACC. Excited to break down some of the top players in the country uh, next week, right here on the Journey to Draft podcast, Ben. Great stuff there from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. We've got a lot more players to get through. We've got the ACC next week, the Big Ten the week after that, and the SEC in the following week. So we've got three more weeks here of these college football previews. We're going to a couple of weeks, then we're going to have college football. It'll be here before we know it. We're going to get through training camp, and then we're going to have college football games almost on a, on a weekly basis uh, coming up here very, very soon. Thanks so much to Phil Steele. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to all of you. We'll check to you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Hi, Eagles fans. I'm Connor Barwin, and I'm here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. 
This year's event will take place on Saturday, August 21st, and we can't wait to see all of you back at Lincoln Financial Field live and in person. Register today to walk, run, or ride. In addition to making a transformational impact on the autism community, you'll also receive a complimentary ticket to our public practice on Sunday, August 22nd. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org, and I'll see you there.